Do you know we believe a lot of things, but we don't know why we believe them? We believe a lot of things that we didn't get out of the Bible. We got from, we got from people who presented themselves as experts on the Bible, and because we're lazy and we don't want to study it out ourselves, we just take what they say as gospel and as Bible and, and build our whole outlook on something that's not even biblical, not even true. And we could go into a lot of different things that, that where we've done that. And that's why I don't like to go, I don't like to tell people I'm religious. Because religion, religious, re, the, the word religious connotates someone whose mind is like concrete, you know, thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. And a lot of people in their theology, they are permanently set in something that is not based in the Word of God. Maybe partly based in the Word of God. But even the devil misquotes scriptures once in a while. And so we don't want to do that. Now, uh, Johnny Enlow is one of the uh, chief proponents of the Seven Mountains uh, teaching. Uh, the Seven Mountains are the mountain of religion, the mountain of government, the mountain of media, the mountain of the arts, the mountain of business, the mountain of education, and the mountain of science. And, uh, and these, are, these are the major mountains where the business uh, uh, and the gates of hell reside. And if, if uh, Satan can control the media, religion, government, the arts, which are the movies and what have you, uh, business, education, and science, he can dominate and hold people into, in slavery. And in the world that we live in today, um, the enemies of the gospel, the, the Antichrist crowd, presently dominate all seven of those mountains worldwide. You see, even religion, even religion. You know, how, how long have, has, has religion been under the control of people that don't even believe the Bible? I'm talking about as, as a general rule, not all religion. There are some Christian movies, but, but by and large, Hollywood is dominated and controlled by these dark forces. The economy, you know, the economy, it, it, worldwide, the economy is under the control of five controlling families that are satanic. They're satanic. They're, they, they, uh, they're doing his bidding. Same way with business uh, and education. Education is under the, the, and has been under the dominance of, of people who want to eradicate the Word of God, eradicate prayer, get any knowledge of God out of the educational system, and persecute those students who come in there who still believe, and intimidate them, and, and, uh, and, and persuade them against their, their, their beliefs that they were brought up in. And I was thinking about all this, you know, Johnny uh, Inlaw talks about that a lot, and uh, there are others that talk about that. But Johnny got me to thinking about how our end-time theology greatly impacts how we serve God. The way we view the end times determines our whole approach to living and our whole approach to ministry. For example, uh, um, well, I'll get to that in just a minute, but uh, I want to... I wanna, get a scriptural basis here for what I'm talking about this morning. So let's go to Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to talk about the wilderness provocation. The wilderness provocation. You know what a provocation is? Provocation is, is uh, uh, when someone picks a fight. And the children of Israel picked a fight with God in the wilderness and almost were annihilated but for the intercession of Moses. But for the intercession of Moses, God would have destroyed the whole nation of Israel right there in the wilderness. Not once. But, you know, if you read, if you read through these Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you'll discover God saying, you've done it to me ten times. 
And we're going to read about the, the, the tenth time. You know, ten is the number for testimony. And what God was telling them is, you folks, this generation, you have the testimony of provoking me. Your testimony, people, is you tick me off. <laughs> you anger me. Woo! I, I don't want that testimony. I don't want, I don't want all throughout eternity for people to poke their finger at me and say, he ticked God off. Now, we're, these were God's people, God's chosen people. They ticked him off. Now, look in Romans uh, numbers, uh, numbers, I mean, Numbers 13, and we'll just start with verse 30. Th this is after the ten, ten spies went into the, into the promised land and spied out the land. You all know this story? If you don't know it, all you got to do is read Numbers chapter 13, 12, and 13. All right, but I'm going to jump right into it. Numbers 13.30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now what's he talking about? What, what do we need to overcome? The land of promise and all the inhabitants of that land. You see, they'd gone in there and they had found out that it was a wonderful land. It was full of produce and full of uh, livestock and full of all kinds of, I mean, cities. And, and, and it was a beautiful, wonderful, rich, luscious place. But they saw giants in the land. And they got spooked by the giants. And so 10 of the 12 spies came back saying, oh, yeah, it's a wonderful place. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, but we, we're not able. We're not able to take it. Caleb said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. We're well able to go up and take the country. How was he able to say that? Because God had already said, I have given you the land. God already said before they even went in there, I have given you the land. But the men that went up with him said, this is verse 31, be not, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. See, if, you, if you're in time eschatology or theology is based upon we're fighting a losing battle. We're not able to go up against all of these people who control all these seven mountains. The world is destined to get worse, worse, worse. We are nothing. We are no match for the Antichrist. And this is, we're losing. Then that's going to affect how you fight in the battle or if you fight at all. And they brought up an evil report, verse 32, they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. You know, like George Soros, Bill Gates, those scary boogeymen that we hear about. And there, verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. Now, the giants were the descendants of angels, fallen angels, who had uh, uh, sired offspring with earthly women. They had broken a law of God and had introduced into the world a race of freaks. Dem demons inhabiting these freaks. And these were the sons of those guys. And we were in our own sight. Everybody say own sight. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Everybody believed that evil report. And they cried and they wept, you know. 
And then they, then the next morning they get up and they are murmuring and complaining against Moses and complaining against God. And they even said out of their own mouths, collectively, they said, it would have been better for us if we'd stayed in Egypt or that we die here in the wilderness. You are snared by your own words. All right? Now, their lack of faith... I mean, if you see, it has a lack of faith. Caleb had faith. Joshua had faith. But the other ten, they were full of doubt, fear, and unbelief, and the people went with the majority opinion. Numbers 14, Look, we're just going to skip down to Numbers 14, verse 21. God is speaking here. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. God has said this many times throughout Scripture. God's purpose and intention is to fill the earth with His glory. Heaven's already full of the glory of the Lord. Remember, Jesus even said to us, when you pray, pray this way, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And that was the Scripture I was going to read in Matthew. Pray ye this way, you know, Our Father which art in heaven, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. So Jesus, when he told us to pr how to pray, he, he, he told us to focus on the kingdom of God coming to the earth. Not focus on the, the kingdom of God retreating back into heaven. See, if your idea of the rapture is a rescue mission or a retreat, because we've lost the battle and the devil's taken over and the Lord's sending us the rapture to get us out of here so we won't suffer through the tribulation. If that's your whole idea of the, of the rapture, it flies in the face with what Jesus is saying. Pray that my kingdom come on earth. Or when, the scripture, when Jesus talks about you being salt and you being light. You being, you being the leaven that leavens the whole lump. He's referred to the church as salt, light, leaven. Amen? Something that grows and increases. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't die out. It doesn't get away. Now, I believe in the rapture. But I see the rapture as, as a, 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 a celebration of, of God's plans and purposes being finished and completed uh, uh, in this age, and then he draws us up to himself only for us to return. It's not an escape mechanism. It's just a repositioning, you know, getting us out of the graves, getting us out of the ashes, getting us out of the oceans, and, and getting us out of this, this mortal body and transforming us into immortal bodies and calling us up into the heaven, into the first heaven where Jesus is going to meet us. And then, you know, and, and um, it's, it's not a defeat mechanism. It's not like us getting the, you know what, out of Afghanistan on the last plane. We're not leaving here scared and afraid. And yet that's most people, most people's perspective is, oh Lord, come and get us out of here. Oh Lord, come and rescue us. Well, I hope, I hope we're not here when all that happens. Well, as long as we are here, all that can't happen. Because we, the Bible says, we're the, you know, Paul said in Thess Thessalonians chapter 2, we're the restraining force. We're restrainers, we're occupiers, we're, 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 we're kingdom people. And the word kingdom means rule. But their lack of faith, here's what God said to them in, in Numbers 14, 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearken to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. 
but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. And then look at, look at Numbers 14, 28. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. They said, they said it'd be better for us to die in the wilderness. He said, okay, you got it. Be careful what you say to God, especially when he's already provoked at you. You'll seal your own fate. You say, well, pastor, let's, let's get out of the Old Testament. <laughs> okay, well, let's look at some New Testament. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. This is a New Testament warning to those who are who have a fear perspective of the end times. A fear perspective of the end times. You know, there are a lot of people who will not read the book of Revelation because it scares them. Yeah. I've had people right here in River City tell me that. And you know what? It's a lie. Because Jesus said, blessed is the man that reads the words that are written in this book. Not scared, not frightened, but blessed. You know why? Because the book of Revelation is all about the revealing of Jesus Christ throughout all history. You can, you can read the book of Revelation and you can see history from the beginning to the end in that, in that, in that book. And it reveals that Jesus Christ has ruled from the beginning to the end. He says, I am he that was, is, and shall be. Or I am the first and the last. I am Alpha and Omega. And I've been, where, I've been with you. I've been there throughout the whole history of mankind. Not as a loser, but as a victor. And he has gotten us the victory. So look at Hebrews 3, 8. He says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now, I just read about that. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, even though they saw his works. They didn't know his ways. How is that possible? It's possible to know there is a God and to believe in God and never know his ways. They do always err in their hearts, he said. Verse 11, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. God's going to hold you accountable for how this thing ends. We can't start out in glorious liberty and victory with an idea that in the end we're going to have to be rescued. In the end, we're going to fail our, in our mission, which is the kingdom of God on earth. In the end, we're going to fail to take over the seven mountains and kick those people off. You ever play King of the Mountain? Anybody here ever play King of the Mountain? What's the objective? Whoever's on top of that mountain, you're going to get up there and kick him off, and you're going to be the guy on top. And before Jesus left this world, he set us up the mountain. <laughs> We're not supposed to let the satanic crowd 
be kings of the mountains. Amen. Amen. Remember when Caleb finally got into the promised land, what did he ask for as an inheritance? He asked for the mountain. What mountain? The mountain where the Anakim were. The mountain where the giants were. And at, how old was he? He was 80-something 80, 80 years old. He went up the mountain and kicked the giants out, killed the giants, ran them out of there, and gave that mountain and that valley to his daughter as her inheritance. Then he was ready to die. But not, he, he wasn't going to die until he got his mountain. Folks, God doesn't want us to just peter out in the end. He wants us to be strong in the end and to go out in glory and victory. Do you believe, how many of you believe that? I believe that. See, I believe in the rapture, but I believe, I believe it's a victorious, glorious event. I don't believe it's a defeatism uh, escape hatch, you know, little little pod, little pod that allows me to shoot out into into space from the spaceship that's about to blow up. It's not an escape pod. <laughs> the rapture is not an escape pod. If you think if you if all you're thinking about I just can't wait till I escape, then your theology's wrong. I don't care. I don't care how correct the outline of your theology is, but the stuff inside of it that makes you bold and makes you victorious and makes you brave and, 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 uh, and, 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 and a true threat to the enemy, if fear is there, it's wrong theology. Our, our theology is not fear-based. <laughs> so, so how, how, all, how your faith and everything that, that, uh, that you consider faith, how it applies to your eschatology is very important. I remember one time, you know, I, I, was, ra I was raised on preaching, uh, end times preaching, preaching about the rapture, preaching about the tribulation, the antichrist and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one day I was third grader, fourth grader, I came home from school and there was nobody in the house. Usually my mother was always there. My mother was a homemaker. She had five children to raise. That, and, and, and I walked home from school, and every, every day, every afternoon, she was there. Except this one time. I walk in the house. I see her apron laying on the table, kitchen table. I went throughout the house. Mama, Mama. I couldn't find her. I looked out in the backyard at the clothesline where I, you know, where many times she's hanging up clothes on the clothesline. She wasn't there. All of a sudden, I was afraid. I see the rapture should not scare children. There's something wrong when we frighten children with the rapture. Now, I thought I thought I'd missed it, and I'm running amok. I'm like I'm like that kid from Home Alone, you know. I'm going all over the house like this, and then she walks in the back door. She had been over at the neighbor's house. Boy, I'm so glad to see her. But did I get saved? No, I didn't get saved for a few more years. I got, I got saved at the age of 12 because the preacher got up and preached about hell, and it scared the hell out of me, and I didn't want to go there, and I came down for purely selfish reasons, and that was so I wouldn't go to hell. I've learned to love the Lord since then. But, but the, you know, uh, we're, not, we're not supposed to run around scaring people with talk about the rapture and the tribulation. Paul did say that. He said, encourage one another with these words. So if our theology doesn't encourage people and give them hope and faith for this journey, for this battle, this fight, then we need to go back and, and reassess our approach. Amen. Doom and gloom, escapism, 
focuses upon the darkness and the evil that is around us and uses the rapture as an escape mechanism. It's a message of retreat in the face of defeat. But wouldn't you rather have your rapture theology focus on a victorious church, meeting the returning King of Kings in the air after completing our mission on the earth? Doesn't that sound like a better scenario? Now, which one do you think is from heaven? Which one do you think is from heaven? I think, I think that, that the Lord Jesus is not returning for a defeated church. The Bible says he's coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. A glorious church. A prepared church. A church that has occupied till he come. Amen? Fear accepts defeat and cowardly awaits the emergency evacuation. And some folks, you know, and this, this is huge in our culture right now, this idea of an impending apocalypse, the invasion of the body snatchers or the zombies, where Christians are preparing their uh, rations, their guns and their bullets and their go bags and they're learning uh, survival tactics thinking that when things go really bad they're going to go out into the woods. How many of you have been in the woods around, around Jacksonville? You've been out in those woods. I don't want to live there. And yet th there are a lot of Christians, people who really believe in the Lord, they're preparing themselves to have to evacuate their homes and their towns and go out and live in the woods and shoot anybody that comes to steal their rations. I can't see that as kingdom of God theology. Well, what's at the root of that? The root of that is, is the way this been, these end time theology things have been preached over the years. It instills fear and not courage you see faith keeps working for the master until he comes matthew 24 which by the way is a is a chapter that scares the woolies off of people i mean if you know when i say matthew 24 you know what i'm talking about that's where they ask jesus what shall be the signs of the end and so you know what Jesus does in Matthew 24? Same thing he did in Revelation. Takes them from the beginning to the end. And shows them everything in between. Much of Matthew 24 has already happened. And some of it has happened repeatedly. How many holocausts have occurred in modern history? The last 2,000 years. How, how many plagues? How many earthquakes? How many times has the sun been blotted out by volcanic ash? You see, a lot of the things Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 are common occurrences throughout history. And when they happened, the church, many people in the church believed that they were the last generation. Like when the the, the Black Plague hit Europe and killed uh, over a, a third of the people in Europe. The Christians were just, they were convinced it was the end of the world and Jesus was coming. Guess what? He didn't. And they repopulated. And then they had the Holocaust. Six million Jews, ten million uh, uh, Christians, homosexuals, and... and um, uh, gypsies and people all, you know, they were all slaughtered. And people thought this is the end. This is the end. Jesus has got to come now. Well, he didn't. Europe was rebuilt. Time went on. I was born. And I grew up all during the 50s and early 60s with this threat of a nuclear war hanging over us. 
I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I remember my mother and, and, uh, and aunts and uncles sitting around in the living room saying, this has got to be the end. Jesus is coming. And they were praying, Lord, get us out of here. They were scared. You see, what fear does is fear accepts the worst. Fear accepts defeat and starts looking for a place to hide. But faith does what Matthew 24, 45 says. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. This is all, see, this is in Matthew 24. You got all this gloom and doom stuff, you know, about you know, earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and all these kind of things. And, you know, the stars falling out of the heavens and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then Jesus goes on to say, now, who is the blessed person? The servant who, when his master comes, he finds him still doing the work. There is no place in Scripture that says there's ever going to be a time where we just lay down the cause and go hide somewhere. How about the ten virgins? He talks about that. He talks about that in this, in this same passage. He talks about the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. Who were the wise ones? The wise ones who kept their lamps trimmed and kept their oil going and their light burning. Who were the foolish ones? The ones who let their light go out. So you know what, you know what he's saying there? He's saying, when I come, I expect your light to be burning. I expect to come to people whose lights are still on. <laughs> Keep your light burning. Amen. Pray, praise God. Well, how about the talents? He goes on. He, he, in the same chapter, chapter 24 and 25, he starts talking about the talents. He found 10 people. He started giving them talents. It's found also in Luke 19, verse, 20, verse 12. Turn to Luke 19, 12. I want you to see what he said here. Luke 19, 12, he says, He said, Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, who's that? Jesus. Jesus went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. See, when Jesus receives his kingdom, guess, what's he, guess what he's going to do? He's coming here. Jesus is coming here as king. Amen. Glory to God. I'm excited about that. King Jesus is coming. Look at verse 13, Luke 19, 13. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Now the word occupy is a military term. In order to occupy, you have to conquer and take over. And then you dominate everything in the area or territory that you're occupying. You dominate the media. You dominate the business. You dominate the religion. You dominate the uh, education. I mean, you, you dominate all seven of those mountains. He, Jesus told, told us in this parable, he said, I'm giving you talent. I'm, I'm equipping you. I'm giving you the ability to occupy till I come back. It's a ruling term. Occupying forces run everything. They control everything. They dominate everything. The people that's, that are being occupied, they may not like it. And they might have launched a little, you know, terrorist attack here and there. 
and try to try to subvert it, but they don't like it. But they don't they don't they don't run things. They don't control things. See, the world doesn't like the church. The the world doesn't want the church. As a matter of fact, the world is really wishing the rapture would take place. Get us out of here because we hinder them. The world is doing everything they can to dilute the power and effectiveness of the church. Even to the point that they're financing religious leaders who sing their tune. And they oppose people who dare to stand up and fight. Y'all remember back during the big shutdown here in Florida? Remember the big shutdown? And there's this one preacher, this one rebellious, stiff-necked preacher down there in Tampa named Rodney Howard Brown dared to keep his church open. And they came down on him like a ton of bricks. They arrested him. I mean, they arrested him and took him to the jailhouse. And when they did that, I turned to Ruth and I said, they poked the wrong bear. Because he's still South African enough to consider that a declaration of war. <laughs> And he behaved himself very kindly, very lovingly. Matter of fact, the sheriff that arrested him now attends his church. But the governor of Florida changed the laws in Florida based upon what that one man did. One man stood up and he changed the laws of the whole state. So can the church make a difference? Oh, yeah, and you can see why they don't want, they don't want the church. So they, they preach things like separation of church and state. They, 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 they preach things, and the way they preach it is they support and finance preachers who preach this way. Churches should not be involved in politics. The IRS says, you know, if you, if you start preaching politics from the pulpit, we're going to take away your tax exemption status. They've never done it. They just threaten it. You know why they've never done it? They don't have the power. They don't have the power. But if they can convince you they do and cause you to go hide in a corner and pray for the rapture, then they've won. We can't be intimidated by the intimidators. You know, we, we have to keep fighting. Jesus says, occupy till I come. That is a military stand. Verses 35 through 46, he talks about the sheep and goat nations there in Matthew 25. He talks about the sheep and the goat nations. Now, you know, you know what separates the sheep and the goat nations? The good deeds they do in the world. Didn't Jesus say, you fed me when I was hungry? You clothed me when I was naked? You visited me when I was in prison? And they said, wherein did we ever clothe you or see you, see you hungry? And he said, he said, whenever you do this to the least of my brethren, you do it unto me. That's what makes a sheep nation. A sheep nation is a nation that does good deeds. A goat nation is a nation who oppresses people. So... And he's talking about when the end does come, he's going to separate. He's going to separate whole nations based upon whether or not they were doing good in the world when he came. Well, if it's true of nations, it's true of individuals. The modern church is focused on the giants, and we've refused to occupy the land. We've said, "No, we can't do it." Well, that ticks God off, as I said. That word, that word kingdom, by the way, is Strong's number 932. You know what it means? It means the sphere of God's rule. What we need to be focused on, folks, is not the rapture, but on the rule of God in the earth. The kingdom. 
Matter of fact, that's all Jesus preached. The Bible says Jesus went about everywhere preaching the gospel of the kingdom. His parables were all about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like unto this. The kingdom of God is like unto that. And the word kingdom there means the sphere of rule. It, it literally can, can, can be translated where the king is, his rule is. Where the king is, his rule is. He doesn't go anywhere where he's not the king. You're not going to separate Jesus from his crown. Not yesterday, not today, and not tomorrow. Amen? Not in Florida, not in California, not in New York, not anywhere. Wherever Jesus is, he rules. And if he's in us, if he's in the church, then he rules. He rules in you, he rules through you, he rules because of you. We are are the expanders of his kingdom authority in the earth. Amen. We're not here, we're not here to cry and moan and bemoan and talk about how bad it's getting out there, but we're here to shine forth as lights. And I want to close with Isaiah chapter 60. Here's, here's our song. Here's our, here's our marching orders. Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee. And his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come unto thy light. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they that gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far. And your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. That word fear there, by the way, is not a terror fear. It's a respect fear. You shall see and flow together, and your heart shall be filled with a reverence for God, and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea talking about the people of the earth, shall be converted unto thee, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. And if you read down through uh, Isaiah chapter 60 and go on into Isaiah 61, you'll see, you'll see that this, this is God's intent and purpose for his people in this hour in which we live. He doesn't want us to flee to the hills. There was a time when they had to. Remember in Jerusalem? The only ones that survived Jerusalem were the ones that fled to the hills. That happened. A.D. 70. A lot of Matthew 24 happened A.D. 70. And it's happened in other ways since. Let's not, let's not fall into the trap that many generations before us have fallen into. Interpreting every plague, every epidemic, every storm, every shake of the earth, every natural phenomenon as, as a sign of gloom and doom. Amen. But when the Lord splits open that sky, I want him to find me working. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I want to be that faithful servant that is still investing in the kingdom, still working in the kingdom. And, and, and when he calls me away, I'll have, to, I'll have to do like this and get the dust off my hands as I fly through the sky. Amen. Amen. I'm not looking, I'm not looking for a rescue. And neither did the apostles that martyred, laid down their lives as martyrs. They did not seek to be rescued. They weren't crying out, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. They considered a great honor to lay down their lives for the Lord. So if we're, if we're going to suffer anything, let's suffer for what we're doing, not for what we're not doing. Amen. Amen. If they're going to lock us up, let's let them lock us up for, you know, because, because we're a threat to them. Amen? Praise God. 
I knew a man, his name was Lester Roloff, lived, uh, he, he was a Baptist preacher in Texas back in the 70s and 80s, I think about 1982, something like that, he died in a plane crash. But uh, before that, you know, he operated a children's home in Corpus Christi, Texas, and Texas had a Democrat attorney general that wanted to shut him down. The reason they wanted to shut him down is he wouldn't take a license from the state. He said, the state has no business in, the in our ministry. And he wouldn't take it. You know, kind of like that guy Patrick Henry saw getting beat to death. And Lester Roloff, he, uh, he got arrested. They arrested him, put him in jail. And, of course, it was a big media thing, so the media would come, and, uh, and they would film him behind the bars, and he's got his Bible open, and he's standing on his bunk, and he's preaching to everybody in the jail. And the media is carrying his message on the evening news. And uh, so they finally let him out. And uh, he won that battle, by the way. The governor of Texas, Bill Clements, sent the National Guard out to arrest the state troopers that had tried to close his school down. There was this big confrontation in front of that school between the National Guard and the state troopers. The attorney general, he was directing the state troopers, and the governor says, well, I'm going to put an end to that. And it was wonderful. It was beautiful. It's like it, it, Texas politics. So he gets out of jail, and he's carrying on with his ministry, and he's flying his little airplane over Houston, Texas, and he ran out of gas. And so he landed his airplane on the freeway during rush hour. And it jammed up the freeway. I mean, between the, the lanes he landed in and all the rubberneckers in the other lanes, it was just a massive traffic jam. And people got out of their cars, and they come over there looking to see what's going on with this guy who landed his airplane on the freeway. And he's standing on the wing of his airplane with his Bible in his hand, preaching to those people that gathered, you know, what else are you going to do, right? When the, when the world hands you a lemon, what do you do? You make a, lim, you make a lemonade out of it. And that was his whole, whatever happened, he was, he was letting his light shine. Not bad for a Baptist preacher. He didn't retreat just because the heat was turned up. He saw it as his opportunity to get the gospel out. Now, here's the thing we need to understand. The devil doesn't care if people go to heaven. Matter of fact, he'd send us all there if he could. The devil's not worried about all these babies that are being aborted. He's not worried about all these people that are dying because of COVID. He's not concerned about all the people that die in wars. He doesn't even care about all the people that are getting saved in these tent revivals that are going on. When Billy Graham was having his crusades and all these multitudes of people were coming down the aisle to get saved, the devil, he didn't care. Didn't bother him one bit. He wants us out of here. The sooner we leave, the better. But what scares the woolies out of the devil is when these saved people start running for political office. When they start climbing the ladders of of corporate finance when they start going up the mountains and they start playing king of the hill that is what bugs the devil that's what the devil can't stand so he gets preachers to preach that we're not supposed to be involved well listen folks if we'd have been involved we wouldn't be where we are now do you know that there are still 40 percent of christian eligible voters in the united states are not even registered to vote. You know why? They're up there on a hilltop praying for an escape. They're believing their pastors that are telling them, we're not supposed to get involved in politics. Politics is dirty. I even, I even, I even saw one well-known Baptist preacher here in the United States put on Facebook the other day. He said, Christians who get into politics turn, uh, go from being soul winners to
to turning those people that they should be winning as into enemies. They consider them enemies instead of potential souls. He actually said that. If I mentioned his name, you'd know it. People who, Christians who get involved in politics are turning potential souls into enemies. How many of you know that's a crock of lies? You can be politically opposed to something and still be a soul winner. Amen? That, that's, that's moronic. But that's the result of looking at end-time Bible prophecies in the wrong light. Yeah, it's going to come to an end, but the devil's never going to win. Even, even in that scenario of a seven-year tribulation where three and a half years, you know, it's just going to go downhill real fast, and then in the middle of the three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to stand up and take over the world and all that kind of stuff, and all these evil things are going to be going on. Do you know, do you know even in that scenario, the Antichrist only rules over ten nations? You know how many nations there are in the world? 180. At the worst of the tribulation, the Antichrist is only going to be able to dominate and, and monopolize ten nations. And he's going to be opposed the whole way. He's going to get killed. Uh, you know, I, I, I've studied all, I've read all the books. I, I, I came up in the Assemblies of God, and they were, you know, the Assemblies of God basically present the Schofield version of end-time Bible doctrine. And I've studied it, and I've preached it, I've done, I've used the charts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but even, even, even at the worst that they portray it, the devil and the Antichrist, they're frustrated all the way through until they're destroyed in the end. They never win. We always win. We always win. And the only way he can gain any power at all or any, any dominance at all is if the church is gone. There's two ways for the church to be gone. The rapture or just retreat and wait for the rapture. And I think in many, many areas, Christians are AWOL. They are away without leave. They have shrunk back because of fear and they are not engaged in the fight. You know what happens to a soldier who leaves without permission? <laughs> if, it's during, if it's during actual combat, actual warfare, he's, he's put before the firing squad. If it's in peace times, whatever, he's, he's uh, dishonorably discharged. You don't leave without permission. And when Jesus comes back, what's he going to find you doing? sitting on the sidelines hoping for an escape or busily engaged in the conflict. Amen.